on this week's episode. Has Chris Hemsworth finally found a hit outside of Marvel? E3's loss is some other's gain. And what are the top movie franchises of all time? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source, and also Inside Sports Fantasy Football and the Lakers Fast Break. Thanking everyone out there for listening to all of our great shows. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. It's our own Tyler Rake of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to catch what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com. Also, his great podcast, which you need to listen to right away, and that is Topicocalypse, of course, after ours. And also, his great book, which you can get on Amazon, or Barnes & Noble, or the Kindle, or the Nook. Congratulations, you suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? What's up? What's up? Just another another Sunday, another beautiful Sunday, ready to uh, talk some, some video games and things. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, and please be patient. If you're watching us out there, we're doing a little bit of a test type of thing. We're trying to do this simultaneously between Facebook Live and our good friends via StreamYard to YouTube. So we're just doing this as a little bit of a test because there's been some delays with the internet or whatnot. So we're going to have to go ahead and try and you know think outside the box for this time so we'll see what happens we'll see if we like it and we'll see if we're going to do it going forward but this is kind of a little bit of a test for now so appreciate everyone's patience that's watching but it is going to be a great show my friend i'm i'm doing pretty good thank you for asking i'm safe and i'm hoping everyone out there that's listening to us is safe and happy and healthy as well as best as i can be under the circumstances anyways because you know it's still going on in a lot of states a lot of areas where there's some serious things that, that are going and taking place in this middle of the pandemic. So I hope you and your family out there are as safe as possible under the given circumstances. But it is going to be a great show we've got for you today. We're going to be talking about the real fake Tyler Rake. And that is Chris Hemsworth coming up here in a minute in regards to his movie Extraction, which is now a big hit on Netflix. And people are going, this is great for Chris Hemsworth's career and all that. We'll talk about that coming up in a sec. We also got a little bit to talk about when it comes to more movie delays. We've got our list as well of the top 10 movie franchises. And if you're watching us on Facebook Live, you're going to see a sneak peek of that coming up here in a little bit. Josh wants to hit me up on a Final Fantasy remake and which one I would like. And then someone we've actually spoken about on the show, for better or for worse, Jeff Keighley is at it again. We're going to talk about that coming up later in the show as well. But first, my friend, I don't want to do some corrections real quick. Naughty Dog on the controversy with The Last of Us 2. Official word came out. The speculation in regards to employees or disgruntled employees or things of that nature. That was kind of put to bed and put to rest as Sony and Naughty Dog in a joint statement pretty much solidified. In their opinion, they're saying that was an outside source that grabbed all the footage and all the synopsis and all the spoilers for Last of Us 2. 
So I want to ask your thoughts on that because I don't know if that's better or if that's worse in regards to what's going on with The Last of Us 2 that an outside source got a hold of all this information. Well, it makes you wonder, as an outside source, how are they getting the information? Because obviously if something's coming, there's something being leaked from the earth. Now, if they're getting information, it's coming from somewhere. They're not just Googling when is this game coming out or something like that and getting the information they need. It has to be coming from somewhere. So that being said, there is still a leak in Naughty Dog. It might have been someone else reporting it, but there's still a leak happening and they're getting sources from somewhere. And I guarantee you, like a, a company like Naughty Dog, it doesn't have it. So anyone can easily you know, break past their firewalls and pull out whatever they want about whatever they want. And that, that's just... Uh, I don't know. I feel like they're saying it's coming from an outside source. It doesn't really soothe the uh, the curiosity at all because somebody is still leaking that from the inside. And I'm just curious who it is. I have a feeling there's something funky going on. But still, this doesn't you know dissuade our discussion that we had on the Friday show. And if you want to hear that, that's on the PCC Multiverse on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel right now. And that is the working conditions within the video game industry. Not just Rockstar, not just Naughty Dog, but all over this idea of crunch. And with Sony and Naughty Dog feeling like they were pinned up against the wall, which I personally did not think that they were. I think they could have still just released the game whenever they wanted to. But they felt like they now had to go ahead and bring it out of hiatus because it was actually on a, you know, just an indefinite time period. Now, all of a sudden, they want to bring it out in June. And it just, to me, it kind of seems like it, they're forcing themselves up against the wall. And they're just, you know, I, I just think this situation just speaks soundly about, yes, Rockstar and Naughty Dog, they're two of the best studios out there. There are other great studios that have also been questioned about their work environments. And I think this is just a problem with the industry that we as fans and the industry as a whole doesn't need to let go and push by the side even after The Last of Us 2 is released. It needs to be addressed as far as the working conditions in these development studios as a whole. Well, yeah, I mean, that goes back to the point where if, you know, this person is an outside source leaking information, they're getting it from an inside source. And I guarantee you that unless that person is being paid a hefty sum for that, which is not really the case because a lot of game journals are broke anyway. So it's probably coming from somebody who's, angry about something and they want to to make it known so yes there's probably some disgruntled employee and there's something they are dis in fact disgruntled over so what is it you know we maybe we should call jason schreier and have him hide in the planters and naughty dog you know maybe he can uncover a few things maybe we should hide in the planters so we could find out a few things so we can do that maybe we should just well i don't know maybe hiding in the planters would be kind of tough for us Maybe like behind a tree or something? Yeah, that works. I mean, hey, we're, uh, we'll just blend in, get some camouflage, we'll hang out in there. You know, we look like gamers, so we could probably pass as gamers. You know, just one of the local uh, wildlife. Hey, you guys are game testers, especially you, old man? Yes, of course. And that's our job as investigative journalists. You know, we've got to do something with our journalism degrees, you know. Exactly, exactly. Where did all that money go, you know? Exactly. That's what I tell myself every time I look at the uh, student loan that I have outstanding. But anyways, I digress. Yes, right now, as far as what's going on with Naughty Dog and this whole Last of Us 2, I'm sure it's still going to be a great game. 
I think the odds are and the faith that we have in Naughty Dog and the, the type of games that they bring and they release, I think that still speaks volumes. I'm concerned that it's going to be a rushed product for them because they've already, there's a reason why they delayed it twice. I think three times, two times, in that neighborhood, two or three times now that they've delayed it. There was a reason why they put it on indefinite hiatus with no release date in mind until this happened. Is that they wanted to go ahead and polish it and have a great finished product. And now I'm not sure they're going to be doing it as a final finished quality product. It's still going to be a great game. But it might be the difference between an 8 or a 9 or a 9 or a 10, something like that. And that would be a shame because this is always going to be something like if the game does not meet expectations for either fans or sales, that they're going to go ahead and blame this incident on it. And they're going to just go ahead and say, you know what, it's almost like a scapegoat. They have now a built-in scapegoat if the game doesn't reach its full potential. Yeah, yeah, they do. And I mean, I guess that's kind of convenient for them. But I also feel like they have moved the release date of this game back so much that if they did it any like they were had their backs against the wall, like if the new consoles came out and this game wasn't finished, then they'd really be in trouble. So I feel like forcing them to release this game might be the best thing for it as opposed to uh, saying, hey, you know, we're going to push this back into 2023. Uh, It's still going to be a PS4 game. Sony gave us a deadline, we couldn't meet it, and I, I don't know, I feel like it's better publicity for them to have this whole thing go down, because now people are talking about it. One last thing on it, and that is this, do you think when it was moved off of a release date and it had no release date, uh, you know, after the second delay on it, or second or third, what have you, do you think that Sony had told Naughty Dog or had in mind that they wanted to make this a PlayStation 5 console launch game? Uh, It's possible, but I mean, look at it this way. It was, in fact, designed for the PS4. So I think, you know, having them change, the game would have had to have been rebuilt from the ground up to make it a PS5 game. You know, if it came out as a PS5 game and it was a PS5 launch game, it wouldn't, I don't think it would look as good as it would have had it been developed specifically for the PS5. So I kind of feel like it is better to have it out on the PS4 and then do like the whole upgrade the free upgrade thing that microsoft is doing with their games so again i'll ask everyone out there are you happy now that the last of us 2 is now what just under two months away uh, pretty much what six seven weeks away at this point in time uh, which is actually a great thing for gamers but are you worried at all that the quality of the game might suffer because of the incident that happened last week in regards to some leaked information and also leaked video game footage that was not intended to be released by what Sony and Naughty Dog is claiming to be outside sources. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Well, my friend, I wanted to ask you also as well, while we're here talking about some great things going on within the world of pop culture, about extraction. And as someone who has dipped into the waters of Netflix, 
I'm sure you've heard right now of that Extraction is the latest thing going on on Netflix as far as volume, as far as fans loving it, as far as interest into it. And this plays into the fact that it stars Chris Helmsworth as, of course, the given action name, which I was joking in the beginning with you, Josh, Tyler Rake. What a name. Tyler Rake. And I wanted to ask you this. When it comes to Extraction, this is probably, maybe you could say Snow White and the Huntsman, but probably the biggest non-Marvel hit for Chris Hemsworth ever. Because he has a, a string, an absolute string and long line of losers. You know, I felt really bad for the guy because he has very, very, very good comedic timing. I think from a comedic standpoint, he's extremely good. I've, I, obviously, we've seen that from the Thor movies. Uh, I've really been impressed with his work. I mean, maybe you could also put the Star Trek 2009 because he was in the beginning of that in one of the best opening sequences to a film I've ever seen in the 2009 reboot of Star Trek. But there's been a string of bad movies that he's been a part of for quite some time outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Could this be a sign as far as the, the hit and the reception for Chris Hemsworth? Maybe he should start thinking about going to movies that are going straight to streaming. Do you think he should continue as far as his box office string of movies that, you know, that he's been doing outside of Marvel? Or do you think maybe the Netflix thing is the way to go for the foreseeable future? Is he, uh, I mean, was the movie bad? Did you watch it? I have watched parts of it. I think the movie is, is okay. It's getting okay reviews. But, you know, as similar to what we saw with Ryan Reynolds in a movie that was roasted by critics in the latest Michael Bay film that he did. And there, that movie has done extremely well on Netflix and, and so much so that he signed for more projects down the road on Netflix. Uh, it's the same thing. Action movie. In fact, Ben Affleck. We talked about the movie that he did last year. That was an action movie. Probably would have been roasted over the coals by critics if it had gone to the to the big screen. Same thing goes along. It's, it's these movies that are wouldn't be critically received well, that might not find an audience. It's finding an audience on the smaller screen in the form of Netflix. In fact, basically, it's, to me, it's these 80s and 90s style action flicks or maybe even early 2000s like Taken style action flicks that are now finding a new audience on Netflix that maybe wouldn't on the big screen at this point in time. Well, I mean I, I feel like those expendable type films like they are better experience on something like Netflix, right? Because you're not losing any money by going to see it. You're not you know, you're not paying the, the seven or eight, five to seven or eight dollar VOD costs of watching the film you're not paying $17 to watch it in movie theaters you're just paying your monthly subscriptions it's there you might as well watch it and for that reason I think those over the top over the top action films are better suited for Netflix as opposed to a theater run and if that's the case if they're getting viewed by you know so many people it might be I'm not saying that actors should should just do Netflix films but you know, if they want to go out and try new things that aren't going to pigeonhole them into one role or another, kind of like Thor, then, you know, Netflix might be the right place to do something like that. If you just want to kick back and have some fun, like uh, it seems like what Chris Hemsworth and Ryan Reynolds are doing, that is the right place to do it. Because I guarantee you, 
should Chris Hemsworth decide to go out and do something that's big budget outside of Netflix, people will still go watch it. Same thing with Ryan Reynolds. Like he can, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds can make a movie about nothing and people will still go watch it. doesn't matter where it is. Netflix uh, be, is a good place for things like that. I disagree with you on that. What? With Chris Hemsworth and Ryan Reynolds, they both made movies in recent past with the latest Men in Black for Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth has also made a ton of movies. In fact, I've got his profile up right now when you consider 12 Strong, Ghostbusters, Black Hat. I mean, there's a string of losers for Chris Hemsworth. And for Ryan Reynolds' life, and there's a couple others, although Hitman's Bodyguard was a good enough hit so that they're making a sequel for that. I understand that, but Ryan Reynolds' career outside of Deadpool as of late has been kind of hit and miss. I think Free Guy that you and I both want to see is, is something that I think will be the litmus test to where Ryan Reynolds' popularity is at when it comes out later this year. At least it's scheduled to come out later this year. I think Free Guy is something that is going to play very well or, or be a, uh, you know, a quick miss for him. So I'm hoping that will work because it looks really terrific as far as a film from our vantage point. But they both had had their, their hits and misses when it comes to the big screen outside of their Marvel counterparts. But imagine, if you will, if those movies that were misses on the big screen, if they were on Netflix, do you think the number of viewers would have increased drastically for those films? Absolutely. I could have right now. If life with the great cast that it had on. I, I thought it was a really solid cast. I was part of that film, and that movie tanked because the movie just didn't play very well, didn't review very well. I thought that movie on a Netflix format would have been similar to what you saw with the Cloverfield Paradox, which was an awful movie that would have tanked at the theaters, but again, was made out to be a big hit because got the commercial on Super Bowl Sunday, and right there and then, people wanted to go ahead and see it on Netflix, so it became a huge, massive hit. If Life would have had that same type of release, I think it would have been a massive hit. So you're right. Any big name at this point in time that we're familiar with, whether it's the Will Smiths, whether it's the Chris Helmsworth, whether it's the Ben Afflecks, whether it's the Ryan Reynolds, when they're doing movies that are like, eh, quality-wise, It's best to go ahead and put those movies out on streaming formats, especially Netflix right now, because people are just eating it up. Yeah, I mean, now especially because they're all at home kind of looking for things to do. But with Netflix, it's an interesting model because people aren't losing money by watching things that they might not like. You know, and you can even get 30 minutes into a movie, turn it off. It's not going to cost you a penny outside of your subscription fee. So if you're going to do an expendable type film or a Fast and the Furious type film that's not labeled Fast and the Furious, Netflix, I'm willing to bet that within the next couple of years, we will see these over-the-top action films. And I think that's going to be the case because more and more of these studios are realizing that Netflix is probably the way to go for these type of films. And it's so funny because these type of films, as I was saying earlier, for Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Jean-Claude Van Damme and the like, these were the backbone of the movie industry and the box office for the 80s and also the 90s. And even somewhat, when, it, like I was saying earlier with Liam Neeson's Taken and some other action movies in the 2000s, not critically rated films, just go out, shoot as many of the bad guys as you can and get the job done in a two-hour time frame. Those type of films 
are actually now not playing as well on the big screen those movies are actually playing much better on those streaming formats so i agree with you i think those type of films those action movies that are heavy on action less on dialogue and story and narrative those movies you're going to continue seeing a push towards streaming outlets which is going to make it much easier viewing for a lot of people out there as far as that having choices and whatnot that maybe will be more palpable to a larger audience. Yes, I, I totally agree. And I mean, and this is where Netflix could truly pull itself uh, ahead of these entities like Disney and HBO, like the, these big, big name properties this is where Netflix could really differentiate itself. And that might not be a bad thing because Netflix also kind of has a good market on the B-grade horror film as well. So that is something Netflix has a lot more opportunities and they're allowed they can get away with a lot more than the other companies can. I think that that works in their favor. And in the end, that might be what kind of keeps them keeps them hanging on, keeps them treading water because HBO Max will be able to do something like that. Peacock, to an extent, maybe can do stuff like that. But Disney Plus is limited on the content that it's going to be producing for that network, which is, like you said, going to be the issue because if somebody wants to go ahead and see a movie like a, a Die Hard style movie, which we are seeing on the small screen like we are right now on Netflix. So if you want to see a Die Hard style movie or an action type movie for Disney, they could make them all day long, but they would have to put on Hulu, and they just have not promoted Hulu to any extent as a network that could fill that bill. So you always have that have that segmented audience. And with Netflix, Netflix, like you said, Netflix is an all-in-one thing where you could go ahead and find kid stuff, where you can go ahead and find anime, you can go ahead and find science fiction, you can go ahead and find action you can go ahead and find television shows from the past you can go ahead and find television shows specifically made for netflix i don't mean to be advertising for netflix in a way but i'm just telling you that's what you can go and you can find it's just a matter of taste that's what like you said i agree with you that's what's going to hold disney plus back from becoming the number one entity if anything holds it back from being the number one entity is that they cannot fit as many niches of an audience as Netflix can, and ultimately that might be what keeps them number two. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, because look at it this way too. Like, look at look at how many stones Netflix threw before something like shattered a glass house and got the attention of everybody. Look at something like Stranger Things, an American haunting. Like those those shows are big now. People love them. They have their own cult followings. Like Netflix had made several garbage stuff before that, and then they make these properties. So they all they really got to do is like try enough things and eventually one of them is going to become a smash hit and i think that that you know like you said that is going to be what holds the other big companies at bay at least for the time being could you relate it in video game terms to something like being the nintendo wii of streaming markets right now when it comes to netflix where netflix is only concerned about just having a lot of stuff just just having a lot of content doesn't have to be great doesn't have to be good they've got enough great stuff there they've got enough bad stuff there they just they're trusting that the viewers are going to find something there that's for them whether or not it's been critically hailed or critically panned could you equate it in that something because when the Wii at its height was the most popular thing around 
I mean, there was a ton of shovelware that was just truly garbage heading to there, but it was just stuff that people could play. Yeah, well, I mean, some of that shovelware ended up, like, having a lasting impact on people. Look at Nintendo Switch, right? There's a whole lot of things out there, a lot of indie games being published every week, and, you know, there's been some gold found there. There's there's a lot of games that, like, people look at, like, oh, hey, look, this looks dumb, but I'm going to play it because it's only a dollar, and it ends up being really good. So, I mean, don't ever assume anything about anything, you know? It's like, it, it, all it takes is just one little gym, and that could cause, you know, numbers and fame to skyrocket, and, you know, video games are a perfect example of that, whether it's the Wii, the Switch, even Xbox has a lot of, you know, remember the Xbox arcade games, and those were like, that was like their indie platform, and now some of that stuff actually got really big, and so, and they're still making uh, sequels to it to this day, so I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing at all, but, you know, it gets to the point where, people are going to stay satisfied with Netflix and if they have to make a commitment on one streaming service it's going to be Netflix because so many people are out of work right now so many people have limited budgets and if they're going to stay with one thing it's going to be with Netflix because Netflix can serve all ages all demographics and and all likes and pretty much tastes the only thing it can't do right now is you know, obviously play the, all those Marvel hits, Star Wars hits, all those franchises that are familiar. But what they can do is if you want a sci-fi, they've got a sci-fi. If you want an action thriller, they've got an action thriller. So I see that being the case. Do people want to go with the familiar or do they want to go with the extra content? Because I know some people are really getting frustrated with Disney Plus and the lack of content new coming to the platform. And it, like I said, that will be... That that's what's going to hold Disney Plus back is that they're not going to be able to have as much content as people like, or have the type of content that people like as far as being able to view a full wide body of things that they want to go ahead and view, as compared to what we see on Netflix. Because Netflix is willing to go to places that unfortunately Disney Plus can't. Now that Disney Plus tries to send you to Hulu, but unfortunately not with everybody. Hulu isn't going to stick. Yeah, well, and, you know, Hulu has its own content there that people do enjoy, but it's very niche content. So, you know, Hulu is kind of a whole other entity in itself. That it is, my friend. And with HBO Max on the horizon and Peacock already here in some amount, to some viewers anyways, it's it's going to get even more muddled with all the different outlets that are there, CBS All Access. You know, everybody knows the deal as far as all these streaming outlets that are out there, even smaller outlets like Quibi and all that. It's just so many different choices and so many different options that people have. But for the foreseeable future, I think that these movies that they're producing, whether or not you think they're good, whether or not you think they're bad, it doesn't matter. I mean, if they're throwing stars out there like Chris Hemsworth in Extraction, and if he's finding success that he hasn't been able to find of late outside the Marvel Cinematic Universe in there. And same thing with Ryan Reynolds, who's finding a lot of success there as well. And also, of course, Will Smith and others. If they're finding success with essentially average to bad films that are now on Netflix, we're going to see that continue in the future because Netflix right now is willing to pay and willing to pay big for these films because they know the returns for the most part are very very good and we're going to see that continuing for some time to come which means Netflix now is still going to be the big player 
for some time to come. And that, for anybody who's on the side of Disney+, Plus or anybody who wants to pay the, the hefty charges for HBO Max, that's going to be a decision to make down the road. Do you want to stick with what you have in Disney+, Plus or go to HBO Max, or do you want to just go ahead and just say, hey, you know what, that single entity for streaming for me is going to be Netflix. What are your thoughts out there on the latest movie to hit Netflix that's getting a big uproar in viewers, and that is Extraction, starring Chris Hemsworth as Tyler Rake. Gotta love that. Gotta love that action name right there for you. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media, and game source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next on the back end of the show, we're going to be talking about our top 10 movie franchises. Also as well, Jeff Keighley is at it again. And what Final Fantasy would I like to see remade? We're going to talk about that coming up on the back end of the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. Thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release, Kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years. Kitty has defied industry norms, fought back against women and rock stereotypes, and inspired generations since they appeared. And now, for the first time, they've decided to share their untold story. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here. Cannot thank you enough for listening to all of our great programs. Okay, Josh. I want to go ahead, knee-deep into it right now. People always ask us what are those great movie franchises that I think are out there. And this is our opinion only. This isn't by dollar amount or whatnot. This, to me, is by quality of films and the overall satisfaction. And I know it's a consumer that you've had as well. These franchises and the mark they've left on us, for the most part. Some of it, for me, is based off of rating and how well thought of as well. So I want to hear your thoughts. First off, your list of the top 10 movie franchises of all time. Okay, so I'm going to start at number 10. For for me, these aren't don't really have anything to do with popularity, though some of them are really popular. These are just things that I enjoy watching, things I've always enjoyed watching. If I feel like watching a franchise, these are my franchised versions of Ridley Scott films, I guess. All right, so I got at number 10... I have the Oceans movies. I love the Oceans movies. Not, I don't like Oceans 8, and that has nothing to do with the all-female cast. I just thought that it was perfect having that cap at Oceans 13. Oceans 13, not amazing, but Oceans 11 and 12, really, really great films. And they're really just, they're just fun to watch, you know, seeing that, that all-star cast come together, seeing their chemistry. Like, it was just, it was a fun franchise to get into. At number nine, I have the Pirates of the Caribbean. Don't really, didn't really enjoy the last one, you know, the one before that on Stranger Tides, okay, but, you know, I'm probably one of the few that did enjoy the first three, like, all of them. I know number one was really well-liked among people, and everyone was kind of like, eh, on number two and three, but I did really enjoy those movies. I don't know, I like, I, 
that's my favorite ride at Disneyland. I always like to go on that. It's just it's kind of a cool world to go into. And I like Orlando Bloom as an actor. I think he's really great. Uh, I got another series with him coming up here later. Number eight, I got The Mummy. And you cannot tell me that you don't like the mummy franchise like it is just it is it's fun it's it's popcorn movies like you can sit there and watch them you don't have to think about anything you just sit there and laugh have a good time it takes you on an adventure and it's over within an hour and 30 minutes and you just kind of go okay well that was cool so i'm gonna you know I'll, I'll probably end up watching that one again at number seven i have the conjuring really like that franchise. I think the, all the films are really well done. That's one I do have good memories with. I watch them. I've seen all the films. I've watched them with my dad. I do enjoy horror films. I think The Conjuring does it right. You know, they don't beat it to death, kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th. No pun intended. And uh, no, they don't do like what Paranormal Activity did, where they built up this big story and then it just kind of fizzles out. He connects all these worlds and he does it in a really sensical way. So I do enjoy that. Number six, James Bond. I, I love the James Bond series, and I know we've talked about who's the best James Bond. There's Sean Connery or Daniel Craig, Pierce Brosnan, whoever you think is a good James Bond. I, I really like the films. I like the newer ones a little bit better than the older ones just because they're all connected, and continuity is everything to me. Number five, I got Harry Potter. Harry Potter is a, is a franchise I do love going back. I love reading both the books and the movies and watching the movies. I think J.K. Rowling is very talented, but I do think she's done a great job of crafting this world and continuing it on through the Fantastic Beasts and the Pottermore thing. She is someone who's done something that very few people have done. She has inspired several generations of kids. And that is something that, like, you know, you look at the Hunger Games and you're like, okay, well, that's going to be something that people within a certain demographic will talk about. And I think that's something that very few people have done. At number four... I have Alien. I do really like those films. I'm one of the few who might have enjoyed Prometheus. I was kind of eager to see where that went. But that one was really good. It, it's the, What can we say about Alien we haven't said before? Not really a whole lot. It just st- sticks out to me because I really enjoyed watching those. Marvel at number three. You'd think Marvel would be my number one, but it's not. Uh, Marvel's my number three. I do really enjoy the movies. I you know Some of them I like more than others, but there's a Marvel film out there for everybody, and that's something that not a lot of franchises can say. And Marvel has done something that that nobody has done before. They've successfully connected so many different characters across so many different movies. This is something DC has not done successfully yet, and Marvel is kind of a pioneer in that category. Number two, Lord of the Rings. Love me, Lord of the Rings movies, and I am including The Hobbit in this. Say what you want. I know the purists don't like the Hobbit trilogy, but... I, any excuse to go back to Middle-earth is one that I will gladly take, and uh, I can't wait for the Amazon show to come out. Number one, I got Jurassic Park. Who does not have a special memory of that John Williams soundtrack playing? You know, the first time you see those brontosauruses out on the uh, out on the plane, Dr. Grant and Dr. Sadler get out, and they look up, and they're just totally shocked by what they're seeing and like sticks out to me so well and like the i didn't really like the last jurassic park movie that much but jurassic park is a place i do enjoy going back to time and time again and that's something that you know even going to universal studios as a kid i always loved doing that i have very special memories of this film so that's my 10 gerald glassford i ask you what are yours 
Well, you've got some outstanding franchises that I was really thinking about putting on this that are favorites of mine. And uh, the only reason, well, Jurassic Park, I'm not a big fan of. So I was easily for me dismissing off it. But obviously, it's a big favorite, earning big cash, billions of dollars. But it's not a big deal with me. I know you and Rob McCallum think otherwise because he's a big fan of it as well. Uh, the DC movie universe is now finally really starting to get on track. For me, is something that for a while now, outside the Batman films and the Batman trilogy, is, I don't know how you would treat the Batman trilogy when you talk about the Jonathan Nolan's Batman trilogy. Would you treat that? Because we're treating these movie franchises as anything three and above. So I don't know if you would separate that or not. So it's kind of confusing there with the Batman trilogy from Jonathan Nolan, much better than what's been served in recent past from, from the DCEU. Although, as of now, with Wonder Woman and Aquaman, it's now getting into the right direction for DC, so I'm glad to see that. James Bond 007, truly a favorite of mine, but you know, something that, like you said, has had its way ups and its way downs as far as movies. I mean, people love or hate Roger Moore movies, whether he was always breaking the fourth wall and looking at the camera and winking at the camera, George Lazenby or any of the other movies. I mean, people seem to love Sean Connery and People seem to be mixed on either or. Now just finally getting into Daniel Craig's 007 character, which I'm now finally getting into. Obviously, Skyfall did it for me and did it for a lot of other people who are maybe on the fence. So James Bond is an outstanding series, and I wish I would have been able to put that one on my list as well. The Conjuring, it's got to be if you love horror movies. I'm not a big fan of horror movies, not a huge fan of it. I appreciate it for what it's worth. I watch horror movies, but I'm not a huge fan of the Conjuring series just because it's something that I've never really gotten into. I mean, I've watched a couple, but it's just not something that's captured me. The Mummy was just popcorn fun, a lot of fun, number one and two, and then it fell off a cliff with number three. I think that's probably why it didn't make my list because number three is just such a, a movie poo-poo. Pirates of the Caribbean is something that outstayed its welcome. I think is pretty much what we can say about that one. I love the ride too. Uh, my my daughters and I, my family, we, we every time we go to a Disneyland or a Disney World, we go on it. Would you say that the first three were okay though? Like, did you say? Would you say that they were decent films? Yeah, they were pretty decent films. And the Jack Sparrow character was somebody that was good, very good character, very entertaining. But it had a story and a plot line and some interesting side characters that were keeping you invested in the films once those side characters started to get stale once the story started to get stale and once jack sparrow became a caricature of himself the movies just seemed to like that as far as the pirates of the caribbean is concerned for me the ocean movies for me i love them i watch them every time they're on tv and that includes oceans 8 which i really enjoyed as well put that on par with Oceans 13. If I would put Oceans 8 and Oceans 13 as far as equal footing, I'll watch them and I have no problems watching them at all. Oceans 11 is really good, but Oceans 12 is the best of the bunch. I'm just going to tell you right now, Oceans 12 is the best of the bunch. They're all watchable films with me, so you're right. That was very close for me putting on there, but yeah, Oceans 12 was the best for me. Would you say with Ocean's 12 that Ocean's 12 is kind of like a different genre than Ocean's 11? Like it had a very, uh, it had a far more serious tone and it felt, it felt very cool. Whereas Ocean's 11 was kind of chaotic and funny. It reminded me a little bit more of Snatch, but Ocean's 12 had a totally different tone to it. 
It did. It was very slick in its presentation. I think because of the European flavor that was added into it, I just think that it, overall it was a much more... In fact, I think with Soderbergh and the whole crew and whatnot, now that they went through Ocean's Eleven and that Ocean's Eleven was more fun, more upbeat, more perky. Ocean's Twelve was more you know, desperation. There was more grittiness to it. There was more sly humor. It was a more intellectual film than Ocean's Eleven, and I think that's why I like it better is because something that it really plays to you, and the deception, even though there was deception in Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve took it up to an even higher level, which I really, truly appreciated. Ocean's Thirteen tried to do some of that, didn't quite work out, although it's still uh, you know, a pretty good movie, and Ocean's Eight tried to do some of that as well, and that's still a pretty good movie for me. Yeah, the Ocean series is, is a really solid one, and I recommend people going out of the way to check any of those films out. So we want to go ahead into my list, and number 10, we're going to go with, and this is not my favorite movie franchises. I'm going to tell you right now, these are not based on my movie favorite movie franchises. These are the ones I think are the top 10 based on fan response or fan respect that's out there. And number 10 is Despicable Me. Because the Despicable Me series has been something that a lot of people have enjoyed. Especially now with you got the new Minions movie that's, well, actually that's being moved. So you don't know when that's coming out. But that's something that Despicable Me movies has been very entertaining. And I think it, looking forward to more great things from the Despicable Me and Minions, which you got to mix, put in the mix as well. Number nine is Star Trek. And that's because Star Trek is all over the place. I still hear people today that have never watched a Star Trek movie or never watched the Star Trek series. I hear that more often than I think I'd like to hear. I'd love to see people get into Star Trek a lot more, especially the first two rebooted films, Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness. They want to get something that's a great modern feel. J.J. Abrams doesn't exactly love Into Darkness. I like Into Darkness a lot more than he does, I think. But the rebooted Star Trek is something that I think is a really fun film to get into really well made dots a lot of eyes cross a lot of t's it's the movie that i was hoping some of the star wars movies that he was a part of would have been more like if he was trying to make it like that i think it would have been great but unfortunately didn't quite work out the way he wanted it to but star wars the reboot 2009 especially then you go back to star wars 2 as far as from the original crew the wrath of khan that is one of the my favorite films of all time so there's been some highs, there's been some definite lows with those films, so it depends on which ones you like, but yeah, overall, I think you would have to throw Star Trek in there in some form or fashion, and it goes on the back end. Number eight is Hunger Games, and Hunger Games, for me, is solid. It's solid viewing, solid watching, tells a good narrative, kind of breaks down on the end when they did the part one and the part two of the last two films, kind of... Uh, kind of broke, you know, obviously the, the greed kicked in and they felt like, you know what, the studio went to well, like, you know what, we're going to go ahead and break down this in two parts as we're seeing from a lot of stuff, like, for instance, uh, another series coming up here in a second where maybe it shouldn't have been broken down to two parts, kind of was like fragmented, so to speak. I don't think there was enough there to go ahead and break it into two parts, but you know what, with The Hunger Games, until it reached that point, it was still a very good series uh, of films. And something a lot of people enjoy. And obviously it, it generated a lot of income. So much so that they're going to be planning a prequel at some point in time in the near future. So you will see a prequel to The Hunger Games at some point. 
Number seven is the Harry Potter series. I'm not a big fan of the Harry Potter series, but I respect the movies. Obviously, a lot of fans all over the world has done so much. The volume of dollars in the box office, and a lot of people love the Harry Potter series. It's watchable to me. I watched it the other day with my family, so it's something that I can sit through and understand and still appreciate. But it's something that a lot of people out there truly love. And like you talking about earlier, Josh, with J.K. Rowling and all that, is something that I think a lot of people will enjoy for years and years to come. At number six is Raiders of the Lost Ark. We'll see what happens with the Raiders of the Lost Ark 5, which may come out while Harrison Ford is still alive. We're going to have to wait and see on that one. But as everybody knows, if it's odd numbers, it's really good. If it's even number Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's really bad. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. It would be an odd number, I think. So that would be a good sign for Raiders of the Lost Ark fans going forward. Number five is the Godfather films. And I know Godfather films would probably be a lot higher, even though Godfather 3 doesn't get the acclaim that Godfather parts 1 and 2 get. It's not a huge favorite of mine as far as the Godfather series. I'm not a huge fan of it as much as other people are, but I give it enough respect that it should be on anyone's top 10 franchise list. Number four is Star Wars. And I, that this one hurt me a lot, Josh. This one really hurt me a lot. Put it that low on the list. And that's simply because when it comes to the movie franchises, there's been three very, very good films, including Return of the Jedi. So that original trilogy is really just up there. And then from there, you know, for me, the the prequels, for the most part, are, are not that great and not that great at all. And to a lot of other people as well. And this recent body of work in these films, as far as, the, you know, ever since The Force Awakens, has produced for me only movies that have been eh, okay at best. And that to me is is truly the, the worst part about it for me as a Star Wars fan, as someone who still loves the Star Wars franchise and remembers it so fondly, even to this day. I love so many aspects of the Star Wars franchise outside the movies. And it's unfortunate that the Star Wars movies, even the ones that came out today, are just not meeting the standard that was set so long ago. This is an appropriate conversation because Monday is Star Wars Day. And also, uh, Disney's putting up a bunch of Star Wars films that weren't previously released on Disney+, Plus, if the rumors are to be believed. But yeah, I think that Star Wars, you know, we've talked about this before. Star Wars has become, more, ever since Disney acquired them, it's become more of a machine than a story. You know, there was this, this big dramatic space opera that sparked the imaginations of millions of people around the world. And then Disney saw it as a a cash machine and even the actors were upset about that but disney saw it and just like just kept going going want more 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 and then people are burnt out so i mean i think the old star wars films and kind of re- are a better representation of what that world is the side story solo is eh, but uh, rogue one is really good but i just i feel like this new trilogy kind of fell really far from what star wars used to be couldn't agree with you more, friend. I'm hoping for a rebirth of great Star Wars films coming up in the near future. You're right, May the 4th. And so may the 4th be with you when this airs. And hopefully you'll be find some great Star Wars films to watch during May the 4th, whether it's Star Wars, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, Star Wars Return of the Jedi, or so much more. And I know Star Wars rise of skywalker is going to be headed to disney plus as you hear this on monday so you know if you like that movie which we you know josh and i kind of 
really could have taken it or left it, but be that as it may, it's still something that if, you, if what's out there is going to be new content, fresh on Disney Plus. So enjoy all the Star Wars content, and hopefully you will have a great May the Fourth as well. Number three is going to be a surprise to a lot of people out there, and if you're watching Facebook Live, you're already watching it right now, and that is John Wick. And the only reason I'm putting John Wick there is because one and two to me were so good, but three, which was okay. I think it was not quite as good in my books as number one and two, was the most popular by far of the John Wick films. And with John Wick 4 now being pushed back to 2022, getting a lot of people upset, that to me shows the excitement that a lot of people have for the series. And it is the series that wasn't meant to be the series that is now the series, the little series that could. It's been elevated to a point where it is now a great part of this movie franchise thing. And Josh, I can tell you right now, I don't think John Wick wasn't even supposed to get out of John Wick number one. No, I think it's just one of those little indie action films that was supposed to be like a one-off, and then it ended up being a cult classic. And you see, there's been a lot of people trying to repeat that formula via Netflix and Hulu and you know whatever else, the straight-to-VOD films, and they have never quite been able to catch that magic i think casting keanu reeves in that role was the perfect move and that kind of made that franchise and it also put keanu reeves back on the map because i I wonder if not for the john wick franchise would there even be discussions about a matrix 4 i think not and matrix 4 right now is going to be put in fact it was kind of funny because matrix 4 and john wick 4 were going to be released on the same day in May of 2021, until John Wick 4 got pushed back. Number two is Lord of the Rings. And you know what? I know, Josh, you were saying that the Hobbit films, they don't like to include as far as the Lord of the Rings are concerned. But you know what? The Hobbit films have made, those three films, $3 billion. So those are billion-dollar movies. That just tells you the kind of success of the Lord of the Rings, which has earned a total of $6 billion, or thereabouts, in the six films that they've made. So these films have been popular with audiences each and every time out. It's truly a world that I want to get back into time and time again. I like the the Hobbit films. I don't love the Hobbit films, but I like them enough to go ahead and watch them. I really love the Lord of the Rings films. They're truly outstanding, especially, I guess, what you could say is The Two Towers is one of my favorites. So I guess you could say that's my favorite. But All three of those films are really, really good as far as from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And you're right. I am as as excited as you are as far as the upcoming Amazon series and where they will take that series in the second age, I believe. So I'm excited to see where the Lord of the Rings series will go from here. And of course, number one for me is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know we talked about the DC movie universe now finally getting into good shape and the Marvel Cinematic Universe now in a state of flux with the very iffy scenario coming up in 2021 where you have two unknown properties to a general audience that are coming out in 2021. But still, I have enough faith in Marvel because of the fact they've done so well over the past 10 plus years that, you know what, I am going to put my faith in Marvel and they've earned it time and time again. So my faith is because they've done such a great job of building of narrating and story building over the course of the past 23 films. So I'm putting that number one on my list, the number one that's Marvel. You could also say Spider-Man should be somewhere on this list, but that's kind of hard to detail as far as a franchise 
which part of the franchise of the Spider-Mans do you want? I'm just going to go ahead and include it into the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now and just make Marvel number one on my list of the top 10 movie franchises. And if you have your list of the top 10 movie franchises, we would love to hear your thoughts as well. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Well, before we head on out, my friend, three quick things we want to hit on. I know you wanted to ask me something on Final Fantasy. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So, having played Final Fantasy VII, it started getting or the remake. It started to make me wonder what would the rest of the you know the earlier number titles or later number titles look like if they had been given that same treatment. Is there one that you would like to see given the remake treatment? Because for me, I would really love to see nine given like that full HD treatments. But is there anything that you would be particularly interested in? Final Fantasy IX, I agree with you. Because it's the most well thought of outside of Final Fantasy VII. In fact, actually, if you were basing it on a Metacritic status, it's actually even higher rated than Final Fantasy VII. But yeah, I would go with Final Fantasy IX. If any remakes do happen beyond seven, like eight will probably be the next one because that's kind of a cult favorite amongst fans. So there you have it. If you got a choice instead of us for Final Fantasy IX on the next Final Fantasy remake, please share it with us, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. My friend, before we head on out, we got to go ahead and hit two more things. Are you ready for another G.I. Joe movie? Because Hasbro gave the green light for another round of G.I. Joe movies, or at least a movie per se. So what are your thoughts on returning to the world of G.I. Joe? I don't have any. I didn't really like those movies the first time. You know, I was kind of hyped to hear that there maybe be a G.I. Joe Transformers crossover, but like I am not very interested in G.I. Joe. I know there wasn't there like a Snake Eyes movie coming out or something. Was that something they were talking about? They were talking about a Snake Eyes movie. I know also as well Transform movie has been greenlit for I think a twenty twenty two release, if I'm not mistaken, or twenty twenty three. So there is a Transformer movies, of course, coming on the way as well. But yeah, Snake Eyes is something I think was talked about and in some type of development at some point in time. So yes, I think that's something that may be still kept in the fray or maybe not. But a G.I. Joe movie is in development with Hasbro and all that. So whether you like it or not, those first two movies, the G.I. Joe movies were kind of cheesy. But maybe if done a little bit better, they'll be sticking a lot more this time around. Last but not least, my friend, it is Jeff Keighley, your friend and mine, Jeff Keighley. E3 is not arriving this year. E3 has taken the year off due to the effects of coronavirus, but that hasn't stopped entities like IGN from doing their own thing. And then Jeff Keighley is now doing a 
I guess, uh, a, what, a, a extended look with developers and gamers and things of that nature doing his own thing after he said he wasn't going to be even be at E3 and he canceled out of his Coliseum thing. So I want to hear your thoughts on Jeff Keighley being coerced back into a summer spotlight with gaming. I feel like Jeff Keighley is kind of like the used car salesman of gaming. Like he will do anything to make a quick buck. He wants to be relevant. And I think that's what he saw an opportunity to cash in on the quarantine thing and, you know, all the quote unquote digital conferences. And, you know, I'm not opposed to it. And I'm not a huge fan of Jeff Keighley, as you probably noticed from my earlier comments, but I'm not opposed to it. I feel like he's not the only one, though, right? We got the thing from IGN. E3 is doing a digital conference. Microsoft's doing their own digital conference. But are these things going to be connected at all? I don't feel like they are. I feel like Jeff Keighley's thing is going to be kind of like a, an indie showcase, kind of like what kind, the guys over at Kind of Funny do. What is IGN's thing going to be? Is it going to be the same thing that Jeff Keighley? This is kind of a big chance for small developers to get a conference out there, get get their footage of their games out there, which is great. I'm, I'm happy for them, but it's going to be a lot different this year. Instead of being able to know that they're all going to be in one place, it's going to be scattered. It's going to be chaos. I don't really know what to expect. I don't know why Jeff Keighley is doing something like this, but you know, I'm not opposed to it. I just hope that it's something that's worth everybody's time. You know, I haven't been too kind to Jeff Keighley always over the years. And I will say this, that you got to give him credit for at least trying and thinking outside the box and doing this. But then again... That box has already been filled up by a lot of other people. Like you said, there's IGN, there's E3 doing their own thing, there's Microsoft doing their own thing, there's probably Nintendo doing their own thing, there's probably PlayStation doing their own thing. Too many of these entities are doing their own thing. Like you said, we could put it at a one-week time frame over the course of five days presented by E3, and you can have each day on its spotlight. Let's say Jeff Keighley has a spotlight on Monday. Let's say IGN Tuesday. Let's say... Microsoft on Wednesday, let's say Nintendo on Thursday, let's say Sony on Friday. Let's say each and every one has their own spotlight where the day is theirs, where they can show off not only their games, but the indies games, but all these other games. Just to have a five-day period where the focus is on the video game industry via digital conferencing, via trailers that are released, via all this digital gameplay that would be released. Just have it one time. Like you said, it's all over the map, all over the place, and it just... To me, it looks like very disoriented and it's going to lose interest for a lot of gamers. They're going to have to try and keep, okay, do I watch this or do I watch that? Do I have time? Just put it at one time, one place. And that's why I'm such a big fan of E3 because it's everything all in one place. All the news outlets, non-gaming and gaming alike are always centered on it. That's why I love E3 so much because it is and has been presented as the biggest deal in gaming each and every year. That's what it should be all about, and it shouldn't be all over the place like they're doing it now. It's going to be very confusing. You have all these different entities trying to fight for that spotlight that E3 had. I'm pretty confident that this quarantine thing is going to come E3. We won't see another one next year just because now that canceled, they're going to try to do a video thing. There's so many bigger entities out there that have a bigger following that they're going to kind of get crushed beneath the heels of these entities. I agree with my friend. It's not going to get any better looking until we get to some type of deal where we can get a kind of normalcy back again. But then again, that's another day for another conversation on the coronavirus. But still, at this point, this summer is going to be very convoluted with a whole bunch of entities having a whole bunch of different interests. Whether or not that's going to be great for gamers, that remains to be seen. 
Josh, it's been a great episode. Cannot thank you enough for being a part of it. Any last thoughts on the way out? No, I think we've pretty much covered everything. I am interested to see how things play out with these big video conferences, and those are supposed to be coming up here soon. So we'll, uh, as soon as we have more details on that, we'll be talking about it further, I'm sure. Absolutely. And like we said before, stay safe, stay healthy, and may the 4th be with you. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great